Hello and welcome back yet again to the Warrior Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Lance. And on this episode, it's the second segment of the kind of mini-series that I'm doing on psychology, mental health, neuroscience, etc. And I've got Cliff from Psychological Tactics. Cliff has had an assortment of experience in his time as an army officer and is now a law enforcement officer and the one of the founders of the Human Performance and Readiness Institute, which has uh, an assortment of different tools that they're putting it together in the form of courses to help military, law enforcement, first responders be more psychologically fit. We'll go more into his background as well as what psychological tactics and the Human Performance and Readiness Institute really does through their website and what their mission is in the podcast. But before we get into the conversation, I want to say thank you to the listener for continuing to come to the Warrior Monk podcast. And I'd like to let you know that starting as of this podcast episode, the Warrior Monk podcast now has a Patreon. Now, I've worked really hard over the past several years in putting this podcast out with my free time while I've been active duty and now as a reservist in the Air Force. And uh, it takes a lot of time and effort. And honestly, it takes some money to to make a podcast happen. Uh, I've been toyed around with the idea of using sponsors, and I've had a couple episodes where I've tried to use Audible and uh, to kind of start to figure out a way to make some money for the podcast. And I don't mean it in a way that make money for me, but to basically try to afford doing a podcast with my free time. I've poured a couple couple thousand dollars of my own money into podcasting at this point between uh, recording equipment and getting into a home studio setup, and I'm asking you guys now, as the followers of the Warrior Monk Podcast and as the listeners, if you have the ability, consider becoming a patron to the Warrior Monk Podcast. Now, if you go to patreon.com forward slash WM Podcast, that's Whiskey Mike Podcast for Warrior Monk Podcast, uh, or just go to the Patreon search box and type in the Warrior Monk Podcast, you'll come up with a page. And there's several different levels of support there. Uh, If you can contribute, it would be great support to the podcast and allow me to keep doing this and providing content to you guys. I'd really appreciate it. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash whiskey Mike podcast. All right, guys, that's all I'm going to hassle you for today. Thank you again. And do enjoy this conversation between myself and Cliff from Psychological Tactics. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining me again on the Warrior Monk podcast. Uh, today, I've got Cliff at Psychological Tactics joining me on the show. So, Cliff, I appreciate you being here today and uh, uh, reaching back and kind of linking up with me, man, so we can make this conversation happen. Yeah, anytime, man. I look forward to it. Yeah, and I kind of noticed uh, you stepping in and out of the space of you know, Instagram, social media and stuff uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, I know you've been working on kind of your own project with what psychological tactics is, uh, but could you kind of give a little bit of intro on, you know, about yourself and psychological tactics and uh, what you guys are working on? Yeah, man. So uh, again, my name is Cliff. Um, I have been a big city cop for about 10 years before we say anything else. Anything I say on this podcast is not the opinion of my employer. Um, So, uh, you know, that I was in the army for a while as an infantry officer. I also commanded a tactical psychological operations detachment. Um, I've kind of been going in and out of uh, the space, if you will, just because I'm back in school, I'm working on another degree. Um, 
So I have a company with uh, a couple of law enforcement psychologists that sets up uh, officer wellness programs, resilience programs, performance programs with different agencies around the country uh, with the purpose really of improving the performance of first responders and improving their lives. So there are a lot of programs that focus on, you know, how do first responders relate to other people in regards to psychology, but there aren't as many really good programs in regards to how they relate to themselves in regards to psychology and performance. So that's really what we do. Psychological tactics is my own personal kind of side thing that I do uh, because it also has a little bit more to do with, if you will, like the offensive side of psychology where our business is a little bit more um, the defensive side, uh, if you can use that analogy, psychological tactics also deals with, you know, influence, persuasion, all of those things. Uh, because my favorite thing in the world that I do is train cops. And I've been a field training officer for over half my career. And it's, it's something that we desperately need. And I think that that is, uh, glaringly in evidence by how the past year and a half has gone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's in a super important space. And uh, as my background in, in the military law enforcement community, and I talk to other people working in the civilian law enforcement community and federal agencies talk to, I mean, there's a reason they pour a lot of money into understanding psychology because uh, trying to, you know, it's not always about necessarily catching a murderer or, you know, some sort of psychopathic person, which I know that always gets everybody with the, the, the crazy shows, right? The Ed Gaines and the, you know, pick your pick, whichever crazy person, but just for a regular street cop starting to understand, you know, what's going on with that person and trying to maybe stay one step ahead of them. And, and even from an empathy side, right. Under kind of relate to them what's going on in their, in their head and where they might be coming from can really help you make wise tactical decisions on the ground in the moment and dealing with situations, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And one of the problems with the way that psychology is taught to law enforcement and the military, frankly, too, is you just kind of get a, you get almost, it's almost like doing fam fire with a weapon in the military, right? They're right. like, hey, here's a, here's a 240 Bravo jump behind it and fire 30 rounds. And like, now you're certified. And we do the same thing with psychology where, uh, you know, they show you a PowerPoint. Here are the, the precursors to suicide. And they're mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, you're certified in suicide prevention and it's not tactical at all. And I don't mean tactical in, uh, the cool guy operator way. I mean, tactical in useful, simple, heuristics that you can apply in the moment. And that's something that gets lost in translation. I think that's because a lot of it is driven by clinicians who mm -hmm. are not necessarily culturally competent and that's not their fault. Hey, I mean, if you're not a cop or you're not a soldier or you're not an airman or a Marine, that's not your fault. But, uh, you know, with a lot of that stuff, you need something simpler and you need something that's actionable. And a lot of what I do is try and take that, you know, neuroscience, that psychology, whatever it is and say, okay, that's cool. And we can talk about the technical aspect of it all day, but what do I do with that information? And that's why that's really my role in our company also is to make sure that what we do is culturally relevant and it's tactical in that sense that it's useful uh, because, 
standing up in front of a room full of cops and lecturing to them about psychology is is not the right way to get it done. <laughs> yeah, and I totally relate to that too. I mean, my my background coming from a science guy before coming into the, the military world, I was a why guy, right? And, and even just, I don't know if you, Travis Haley and, and his company, Haley Strategic, one of the things I connect with what they do as a company is because he's also a why guy. Like, and, and But the, you got to know your audience. And for a lot of guys in the military and law enforcement communities, they're like, dude, I don't care how it works. Just show me how to work it and hand it to me. <laughs> I mean, like, no, so for sure. It's a, sure. a big part of it is like, yeah, knowing how, how much you can break it down and how much to make it uh, digestible and usable for, for guys and gals that are out there doing the job, right? Yeah, digestible is a good word for it. For yeah. Sure. And, and we talk about the, we're talking about the tactical community a lot right here in the, in the law enforcement military world, but also, you know, it's huge for the, the civilian world too, right? To understand the whole neuroscience of fight, flight, freeze response, because it happens, you know, it's an intrinsic part of our biology that's, you know, kept us alive for, you know, billions of years. But, uh, you know, for a lot of people, I mean, people want to understand and better deal with stress and trauma, right? And this is the, we, the word stress and especially anxiety, right? We throw around the word anxiety and stress yeah. uh, all the time in, in the world today. And we want to talk about real stress, right? Like nobody, nobody in America, I shouldn't say nobody, but like, you know, I mean, people aren't starving. Uh, the, the, you're, you're not having to like keep yourself from, from dying from heat or cold exposure, um, so like the level of what we define as stress is different, but people use anxiety because I, I don't know, I guess it's just, there's the basal level of what's always there as a stressor never goes away. Right. And of course you could, you can get into the, in, down to the deep stuff on neuroscience of why that's kind of, you know, prolonged exposure to whatever you want to call it. More people, uh, our electronic devices, social media, whatever, whatever. But, uh, it's interesting, but I think for people to have a, in general, to have a better understanding of that psychology piece is super, super important to kind of understand a little bit more of their own decisions, right? Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, you have these people who are stuck in this limbic response 24 seven, mm. you know, and your brain and your biology was designed to save you from saber tooth tigers, <laughs> saber tooth tigers wandering around anymore. So I haven't seen one in a while. Yeah, no, man. So now the saber tooth tiger is your boss, you right? Know, it's, exactly. It's the, it's the copy machine. So you're having an extreme physiological reaction to uh, something that is not that extreme. I think uh, the way I put it in that, that recent video I posted about stress was, you know, that that limbic response is your body trading your short term survival for your long term health. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense when you're being chased by a saber tooth tiger, uh, adrenaline and cortisol in your system making you have uh, more deposits of belly fat and high blood pressure is not a big deal when you're getting chased by a saber tooth tiger. Like we'll, we'll worry about like the cave women later and what they think about my six pack. But when you're not getting chased by a saber tooth tiger, man, like it's, it's really wrecking your body. And there's a reason that right. cardiovascular disease, for example, mm -hmm. is still the number one killer of cops. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and for people in general, I know we were talking about people in general also, but uh yeah, man, just figuring out how to like get a hold of that lizard brain. Yeah. Get tame it, man. Get a leash on that thing is sure. is a lifelong battle. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean it's just because you have the knowledge, she doesn't necessarily mean that the doing the said thing is easy, right? Because it's 
that's deep rooted, deep rooted uh, neurological programming. No, for sure. And that's, that's part of the problem yeah. is people are like, oh, they mistake knowledge for skill and it's mm-hmm. not the same thing. Sure. All. And it's like, man, you can read all the self-help books in the world, but if you don't do something, then what good are you? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So uh, in our, in our very first conversation and, and something I noticed you have had recently too, on your, on your uh, posts about OODA loop, right. And, uh, you know, and to Boyd a little bit. So for, for anyone who's not, you know, maybe a, a military or, or tactical Air Force background, any, anything like that, who's never heard of OODA, OODA loop, could you break that down a little bit and, and kind of break down that acronym, the OODA? Yeah. For, did you know that he was an honorary Marine? I did not know he was an honorary the, Marine. The Marine Corps actually adopted John Boyd too, because, <laughs> because he was so awesome. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so that's for, rare. That's rare for an aviator, a sky right, guy, to get pulled right. in by the Marines to be like, "You're it's one of us now." Yeah, that should tell you something that they that they grabbed uh, that they grabbed an, a guy from the Air Force and said, "Hey, you sure. can join our club." That's that's not typical Marine behavior. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like we were saying, John Boyd was a fighter pilot in the Korea Vietnam era. Um, he did not have a super spectacular combat career. But because of the way the timing of his career, the way that it played out kind of between Korea and Vietnam, he spent a little bit of time, I think, in both conflicts, but like really didn't get to get some. Um, But he spent a lot of time training pilots here in the States, and he was a thinker. He was a why guy. And one of the big things for Boyd was in Nam the Vietnamese, the Northern Vietnamese Air Force should have been winning a lot more of those dogfights. If you put the airplanes next to each other, you'd say, hey, you know, they have a faster airplane. They have an airplane that is more maneuverable, but our guys are still winning the dogfights. And that really bothered him. He couldn't figure it out. Um, From an engineering perspective, it didn't make sense. And so he really dove deep into that And one of the big things that he realized was the visibility and the sensor packages on the American uh, fighter planes were giving those guys so much better situational awareness. Um, So he had kind of this lifelong quest to kind of solve tactics and strategy. Uh, He was a really, really big picture thinker. And what he's mostly known for today is what, you know, you call the OODA loop and you hear that all the time in in tactical training circles. And it's really kind of uh, bastardized from what his original intention was because it was really a rather complex concept. Um, On the face, OODA loop stands for observe, orient, decide, act. And it's often presented in a circle like that, observe, orient, decide, act. the original diagram, which is uh, posted on my Instagram, is actually much more complex than that. And the most important part of that cycle, that process, is actually orientation. And what, and it's it's the most misunderstood, also. And what Boyd was meant by orientation was 
basically the way that your brain filters and processes information and then makes sense of what it is seeing. So it's not physical orientation. That's what I used to think. Like when I was first going to infantry school, it was like, oh, there's a stimulus like, oh, you know, bad guy, nine o'clock. And then I've got to like swing myself over and physically orient myself to put right. myself in a position to engage that threat. Um, because that's kind of the the context in the military that we use the term orient. It's kind of aligning things. Right. But that's not what he meant. What he meant was um, your training and experience, your culture, your genetic background, all of those things. You go through this orientation process and then you develop a set of mental models about mm -hmm. what you think will happen in the future if I do X, Y, or Z. And then hmm. the D for decide is when you select, okay, well, from those mental models I have built, which one is going to have the most desirable outcome? So then that's what deciding is. Um, and he also viewed it as an experimental process. So he would say, hey, you're building hypotheses about what's going to happen in the future. And then when you take an action, you're actually like engaging in an experiment. And observation, instead of just being like a regular circle, observation is going on consistently throughout the process of the Boyd cycle. Right. It's very scientific. I mean, it's very much similar to, you know, to the scientific method where, you know, you come to some, some data, some conclusions, and then you, based off what you've learned, you plug it back into the next set of experiments to, to get more information, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the funny thing about uh, the Boyd cycle is, it's something that you do intuitively. Like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't do UDA. Like that's, it, it's a description. <laughs> I have to learn the UDA better. <laughs> right. No, bro. It's a, it's a description of how your brain works. And, right. and there's a, there, there's a good argument to be made for, we don't even need to teach most of the guys what the OODA loop is because it's what they're already doing. We can take steps to optimize that decision-making process without explicitly describing the decision-making process uh, that they're already doing. It's like teaching a guy. That's, a, that's a very infantry officer uh, way to look at it. Definitely. For sure. No, for sure, man. It's <laughs> like, well, yeah. Hey, uh, you're breathing in and out right now. I want you to breathe better. You know, like <laughs> I, I actually uh, coach people on that, but <laughs> no, well, for sure. You know, but you say that to a room full of grunts, they're going to look at you funny. Right. Um, so, and, and it engages all kinds of interesting conversations and stuff, but yeah. uh, it's, it's profound. And the reason that Boyd is not well known by a lot of people is because like a military officer, his preferred method of conveying information was actually the briefing. So Boyd didn't write a book. He did all of this crazy research and he made this amazing presentation called Patterns of Conflict, which he analyzed military history as far back as he could find records on military history. And what he wanted to do was say, hey, is there a common thread between what made people successful in engagements from the Stone Age through the Blitzkrieg and through Vietnam? And uh, he really pulled these patterns out, which is why he called it patterns of conflict. And um, a lot of that stuff influenced the Boyd cycle as well. But it's also independently very interesting, the conclusions uh, that he came to. He talks a lot about deception uh, and uh, choosing your battles. And, and it actually, you know, he comes to some very interesting, like Eastern warfare kind of conclusions, some asymmetric kind of conclusions about the way that war should be fought. But anyway, so he traveled the country 
with these old school slides and like that circular projector where they're like, and they go to the next slide. Like now we just have PowerPoint. We're super spoiled, but he would travel the country and give this huge, super long briefing called patterns of conflict. And there's a couple of like really grainy videos of him doing it. And the audio is like super terrible. And I've wanted to play with the idea of like downloading it and seeing actually if I could like enhance the audio a little bit to make it a little bit more listenable. Yeah. That's the reason nobody knows who he is Mm -hmm. uh, because he wasn't uh, about uh, self aggrandizement. You know, he really was a true believer and just wanted the military to be better. Sure. Um, He was also involved in uh, the development of the A-10, the F-15, and the F-16, and the F-18, because the F-18 kind of grew out of the F-16 program, from what I understand. Um, And he spent a lot of time in the Pentagon at war with the bureaucrats, uh, you know, who the military industrial complex wanted to add expensive things to airplanes just to add expensive things to airplanes yeah. they wanted them to be bigger just for them to be more expensive and uh you know he was like no that's not that's not the way to make an effective airplane um and he spent a lot of time in the pentagon and burned a lot of bridges and it's another reason he's not really celebrated by the military um brass even to this day if you will is he burned a lot of bridges in the pentagon uh you know refusing to play politics because he really was a true believer man sure yeah you got to respect that too you know someone who won't shift off of their uh off their beliefs based off of you know getting more power and money so no definitely a fascinating guy yeah for sure i and you just a lot of it i don't even even that that piece of orienting from the ooda loop you know um i same thing. I always had like ground, ground, like, you know, orient your body towards whatever the stimulus or the threat is or whatever. It definitely goes a lot deeper than that. So I've definitely got some more on myself. I need to uh, get, get some more education on, in on, on Boyd's OODA loop and some more stuff from his life too. So I appreciate you, you sharing a bit of that, man. You definitely sparked my interest in getting into some more details on him. Well, and I'll give you an example of the orienting process, right? Um, human beings have this amazing superpower that no other animal has that we know of and it's that we can we can look into the future and predict what's going to happen in the mm-hmm. future like every animal besides us lives 100 in the present moment um but one step further than that we can think about things that have never happened before mm-hmm. which is actually pretty profound if you think about it like in your brain you can imagine a world that makes logical sense and is consistent that has never existed. Yeah. That's the anxiety thing, right? People freaking out over problems that, that are not currently affecting you, but you're having a a physiological response to a situation that does not exist. Definitely. We have not worked out all the bugs for sure. (laughs) Like we're still, we're still in beta testing. So, um, but so Boyd used to do this exercise and he would put up several machines, pictures of several machines at one time. And it would be like a tank and a tractor and a couple of other things. And uh, he would say, hey, I want you guys to create something new from what you see. And ultimately, like the class would come up with different solutions. And then he would say, hey, look, what I wanted you to make was a snowmobile. You take the take the tracks from the tank, you take the steering wheel from the tractor, you take this piece from this machine, you take this piece from that machine, and you come up with a snowmobile. And he used that as an analogy for 
our reasoning where you're like, hey, man, I'm out on this call. I'm in this situation. And you have never dealt with this exact situation before. But what you see is you see components of things that you have done and you pluck those components out of the other problems you have solved and you reassemble them into a new mental model of something that you've never even seen before to solve that problem that you're immediately dealing with. Mm-hmm. So Boyd's work was super deep, man. I mean, I have Boyd's, I have Boyd's bi- biography right here and it's like, man, this thing is like <laughs> three inches thick. Um, so there's, there's a lot more to Boyd than, than a lot of people know. Um, but yeah cool i mean yeah, i definitely go down the down the rabbit hole with with his life and it's awesome that he's contributed sounds like he's contributed a lot more than just the oodle loop which is what he's famously remembered for but and it, yeah. and it relates back to psychology thing but on that topic i wanted to, to bring up too because and this kind of comes back to the orienting thing too we, we talked about you know brazilian jiu-jitsu a bit uh, in our previous conversation and you brought up this position before submission uh, what, what does that entail? And like, you know, how, how would one apply that? Not just on the mat, but kind of in life. Yeah, man. So I'm kind of playing with the idea of trying to build a consistent system for how across the spectrum of conflict, everything connects together. Mm-hmm. So you can go to the gun range and train the martial art of firearms. And there are guys that that is their job and that's what they do. Obviously you can go to an MMA gym, you can go to a BJJ gym, boxing, whatever flavor you want, and you can train for physical conflict, but that psychological side of conflict, like a little bit further left on the spectrum before things go South. um, We don't really have a system for that. You have people that teach things here or there but not in a systemic organized way. So I'm, I'm actually really interested in kind of solving that problem. Like how do we teach people these skills in a systemic organized way? Because all of these things are very connected and it's, you can use a martial arts analogy. And I use a lot of martial arts analogies when I'm talking about psychology. And one of them is position before submission. If you are a BJJ player, that's a very familiar phrase to you. And basically the idea is if you are not in a dominant body position when you are grappling with someone and you attempt to make a move to submit that person, they're going to submit you. You're going to lose. And you see this all the time with people who are untrained or just starting. Um, You see a guy, he's wrapped up in the full guard. He's trapped in another guy's guard. But without passing the guard, man, he's looking down and you see that guy's neck right there. And you're like, I could just lean forward and choke the crap out of this guy and this fight will be over. But what are you setting yourself up for? You're setting yourself up for an arm bar. You're setting yourself up for a triangle choke. You're just giving that dude things. Um, Same thing. You know, if somebody has you in the full mount, they're sitting on your chest. You need to get out of the full mount. You need to get off the ground first. You don't want to reach up and try and choke that dude that you're going to get broken. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is true in psychology, where if your psychological position is not strong, if you're not balanced, if you're not in control, then you're going to get submitted if you try and make a move on somebody. And a lot of that has to do with ego and it has Mm -hmm. to do with the control of your emotions. It has to do with the control of that limbic response we were talking about. Um, So before you go into psychological conflict, 
the first thing you have to learn how to do, just like the first thing you learn how to do in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is to survive and escape, right? You spend a long time figuring out how to shrimp out of the full mount before you figure out how to submit people. When we're talking about training for psychological conflict, you need to spend a long time figuring out how to put your ego in check, figuring out how to control your emotions first, because when you go toe to toe with another human being who is trying to manipulate you and is trying to get you to do what they want you, what they want you to do, um, if your buttons are easily pressed, mm-hmm. then you're, then you're done. Yeah. Yeah. When some, someone figures out some, one of those, those ticks are right. And they, they start going for them for sure. And you need to be able to recognize like, Oh, I was good when we started this conversation, but maybe things aren't going so well. What can I do to get myself back to where, the, where I need to be? Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, no, I appreciate you breaking that down, man. And applying that because sure. I mean, a lot, a lot of us know the B, the BJJ world, right? And there's so much that applies to the psychology of just, I mean, does even sound many people are not within the realm of physical, physical of violence, I guess, physical kinetic, kinetic interaction with other human beings anymore, right? And even more so now in the past year of everything that's happened with COVID and stuff, right? Stay six feet away from everybody. Um, but people want to talk about taking action and they have no no experience or uh, real implications of what it means to go hands-on with people. Right. And for you sure. see this with, see with this weird groups like Antifa and stuff like that too. It's kind of funny. That's right? another so rabbit hole to go down, but it, it is. And we're not going to go down the Antifa rabbit hole, yeah, yeah. But, but to um, kind of continue on that vein with psychology and BJJ, you know, your natural instinct of what to do in BJJ is completely wrong. <laughs> yes. Right? Like when you and, first start to yeah, roll with yeah, somebody, yeah. what your body tells you to do is yeah. 100% the wrong answer. And mm-hmm. you have to reprogram yourself. You're like, oh, um, you know, me curling up in a ball or whatever to protect my stomach and protect my neck, like that's not going to work out for me. Um, That guy's going to tie me up in a knot or like going for that guy's neck or doing whatever we were just talking about. And psychologically, it's it's very similar, man. Like Mm -hmm. your natural untrained instinct for most of us, because of course there are people who are just naturally gifted fighters, right? There are people who are just naturally gifted communicators and influencers. Um, But for most people, your natural instinct of how to engage with and influence another human being is completely wrong. And you have to unlearn those bad habits before you can learn how to actually be effective. For sure. For sure. Um, You know, in in talking all the psychology stuff to you, man, I want to transition a little bit to talking about, you know, the, a lot of the stigma around psychological uh, injuries, post-traumatic stress, uh, and mental health in general for the tactical military law enforcement community, first responder community. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, well, I know a lot of people in the first responder community on the healthcare side, you know, uh, and in within the medical community, I've got a lot of stuff to deal with this past year due to all the, just the amount of death they've seen. And then obviously that relates, we know from the law enforcement and, and the military community, how close to home it is. And, you know, 
admitting that there's stuff going on and getting getting help and kind of that is is a lot of it's really hard for a lot of guys because they're the stigma around it right like you don't want to be taken away from the community you don't want to be taken away from your job you want to keep fighting um so you and i kind of brushed up on it briefly in our first conversation but how do you think that we start to kind of work through that model of starting to treat mental injuries uh, and I, I like the 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 example you gave me is like, you know, treating it like a physical injury in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and I think that's a good place to start is treating it like a physical injury <clears throat> because uh, one of the big things is we take steps to prevent physical injuries from happening before they mm -hmm. happen. Right. Like that's, that's a really big thing. A lot of guys wear body armor to work. That's the reason that you have a gun is because you're training on how to not get shot. Um, we train on first aid. If you do get injured, you know exactly where to take someone if they get a physical injury. Um, and the way that we treat stress injuries is not the same. Um, and there are things that you can do to prepare for stress injuries. And, uh, similar to say a physical injury, Hey man, if the, if the event is traumatic enough, it's going to cause a lot of damage to you and that's okay. Right. Hey man, if you get shot, it doesn't matter how, no matter how many pushups you did that day, right? Like you're going to, uh, have severe trauma, but, um, a lot of the issues that we deal with psychologically are like the accumulation of these micro injuries and Hey, what do you do uh, to prevent physical micro injuries? Well, you get physically fit, right? Hey, right. And if I'm, if I'm flexible and I'm strong, I am going to not get injured as badly and mm -hmm. the accumulative damage that caused that is caused to my body by whatever my profession is, is going to be lower. And if you build psychological fitness, then the accumulated damage caused to you psychologically by traumatic events is going to be a lot lower. Um, I teach a lot of stoic psychology and uh our stoic philosophy which influences psychology um and one of the big things from the stoics was if you can predict that something is going to happen then you can prepare yourself for it psychologically and you can rehearse your reaction and every human being is going to suffer several very traumatic events in their life because that's being human right? Um, you're going to lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. Everybody, literally 100% of us are going to lose a loved one. Um, unless there's something terrible that happens, like when we're super young, you know, right. um, literally everyone is going to go through some sort of event that causes their health to decline and them to die, whether it's, I went through something like right now I got in a car crash or whether I'm dealing with, you know, the chronic effects of old age, everyone is going to go through something traumatic. So it's crazy for us not to prepare for trauma um, and not to strap that armor on before we walk into that psychological battle. And if we spend a lot of time talking to people about the way that 
trauma affects you physiologically because it is a physiological thing and brain chemistry and your body chemistry get affected. Um, that massive dump of stress hormones has, has a very profound influence on your body chemistry. Um, if we normalize that conversation to say, Hey man, uh, when you go through a traumatic event, these are the things that you're going to experience physically. And oh, by the way, those same stress hormones that are causing you to experience these physical side effects are also going to affect your brain in this way, X, Y, or Z. And guess what? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have PTSD. You know, my business partner, right. Dr. Uh, Dr. Burke likes to talk about how you know, a lot of civilian psychologists that aren't used to dealing with the tactical <laughs> community tend to just diagnose everybody with PTSD like you caught the flu. And it's like, hey, man, that's a confirmation normal. bias based on the stimulus oh, sure. yeah, information journals, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of the things that make guys pop positive for PTSD or normal reactions to training, it's not hyper alertness mm -hmm. for me to sit in a restaurant with my back to the wall. That's a normal reaction right. to training. Why? Because I work in this town and I know that robberies happen because I've shown up immediately yeah. after or when they are going on. So I know that's actually a thing. It's not ridiculous. Just, for just me to live in that. the yellow, man. Gotta live yeah, in the yellow. absolutely. Sometimes I get caught in condition white, you know, not, well, not when some, I'm some of us, man. but Ooh, that's scary. So, um, but uh, yeah, so we can prepare for those things before they happen. And, uh, oh, I was talking about how, uh, you know, some of those things, a stress injury occurs. That does not mm -hmm. mean that you have PTSD. You ha are having a normal reaction to overdosing on stress hormones. Stress hormones are performance enhancing drugs, mm -hmm. right? If you were in what we call a critical incident in law enforcement, you're overdosing on stress hormones and you're experiencing the effects of an overdose. Well, how do we treat that physically? Um, I actually wanted to play. Uh, I'm thinking about making a little game for my next class called Adrenaline or Meth. And, uh, <laughs> and, and listing the side effects right. of, of each of them. Sure. You know, and having the, having the uh, students fill out a matrix you know, of here are the effects of adrenaline and cortisol. And here are the effects of all these different illicit drugs. And you're going to realize that they actually line up really well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think of adrenaline, oh, which is also addictive, by the way, um, which is a totally different conversation. But um, if you think of adrenaline and cortisol as drugs and that you just got hit by a drug overdose, um, you're going to also treat that stress injury differently. Mm -hmm. If you try and gut it out either out of ignorance because no one told you what you need to do, which is super, super common. And like the vast majority of people that go through critical incidents, no one tells them how to deal with it. They're just like, Hey man, like, I hope you're okay. Um, or because you think that those things cannot affect you, then you're at much higher risk of developing post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder are two different things. Right. And we also have to train people on, okay, now I'm experiencing something that's kind of outside of that bell curve of experience from a critical incident. And maybe I need to go uh, get a little bit higher level of care. Mm-hmm.
Sure. I think it's, uh, you know, that, and all of this, a lot of this comes back to the self-education piece, right. And, and learning the signs and the, and the pieces to it to kind of self self-identify. So, you know, when, Hey, maybe I need to go talk to somebody, get that higher level of care. Right. Definitely. And also, man, if you were just in a critical incident, Oh yeah. You're, you're not <laughs> thinking about this, right. You're right, not thinking right. about this. So, uh, buddy care comes in right and and it's time to to walk up to your buddy and be like hey man remember that class we took or maybe you weren't in the class but i was in the class um you're going to experience x y and z sure and that's normal it's normal for you to crave donuts after a shooting did you know that? <laughs> no it is that, really is, is, it, is it a it's yeah. a carbohydrate uh like right. craving yeah Yes, not not donuts specifically. Right, right. But, um, but that's just a cop cra- joke. Yeah, no, it was. But but you're gonna crave sugar. Yeah. Um, but but those same stress hormones that cause you to crave simple carbohydrates after a shooting influence the long term diets of cops, and that's where you get those jokes from. Right. I mean, there's a reason that it's a stereotype that cops like to eat donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's because they're endocrine systems are awash in stress hormones 24 7 yeah and they're physiologically driven to pursue short-term forms of injury or not short-term forms of injury but short-term forms of energy excuse me mm-hmm. right yeah. right yeah causation correlation right yeah um, for sure which one well, maybe, <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not gonna say where i am but but we eat tacos we don't eat donuts right right, right. for yeah. sure for sure yeah, man, the, the nutrition piece is a whole other thing too to talk about, you know, uh, performance and, and, you know, I've, I've talked with uh, uh, dietitians about the brain, the brain gut connection, all that kind of stuff too, right? Like if it's another thing, if you are a tactical athlete, if your job is dependent on you making high level decisions, you need to be putting good stuff in your gut because if you put crap in your gut, your brain's going to start working like crap too. But anyway, it's a whole nother thing. Yeah, man, no, for sure. Like um, the neurotransmitters, like some crazy percentage of neurotransmitters gets manufactured by gut bacteria. Yeah, the data is showing about 80, about 80% of serotonin they're saying is now produced. You know, of course, everyone's a chemistry set. So that number is going to fluctuate. But, you know, over 50% of the serotonin in your body is being produced in the gut lining now. So, yeah, I'm I I talk to anybody about it for hours. It's that gets back on me for being a, a geek and about the the molecular biology and all that kind of stuff no, too. That's, but that's wild though, man. Because it's like, hey, if your diet is chicken nuggets and Big Macs and you spend all your time on your phone, <laughs> it's a that's a lethal combination. Man. Maybe there's a reason that everybody has depression and anxiety. Right, right. I'm no, hundred percent, man. No, it's definitely there. So hey, dude, uh, I want this has been an awesome conversation for starters. I want to I want to say that, but uh, for sure. you know the whole. Th- whole topic of this podcast being the warrior monk podcast right when you hear warrior monk who or what do you think of and how would you define it you know first of all he the guy i'm gonna gonna mention has a very polarizing personality Uh um no it's not that bad he's really popular but he, he has a very polarizing personality so this is this might sound kind of cheesy but if you really listen to jocko that, <laughs> yeah, sure. that that guy is in the game yeah if you 100%. really listen to him if you get past the cartoon character <laughs> that you initially think that he is sure and, yeah. and you 
and and you know he's reading speeches from Henry V at the beginning of some of his podcasts. I mean, yeah. the guy is not dumb, and his whole philosophy is about being physically fit, being in the mental game, and uh, just staying on the path. And um, yeah. and he puts a lot of thought into it. Um, so as as corny as it may come off, because of of kind of he comes off as a caricature sometimes. Um, man, if I had to, to point at like a modern day warrior monk, you know, it would be Jocko Willink. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent, man. And I mean, that's yeah. kind of the whole journey is anyway, like if you read about Musashi and stuff is like you spend your youth in the days of the warrior. And then as you kind of age, you become more of the monk and you're, you know, you become this container of knowledge and wisdom and you try to pass it on to the next, the next generation of warriors and kind of guide them. And that's really cool to see Jocko do that. Obviously he's making himself a lot of money in his own little empire in the process, but oh, there's sure. no shame. There's no shame in that, you know, well, right. dep depending on how excessive it is, but I know what you mean about the caricature, but yeah. then there's a lot of young men that are looking up to Jocko and read Jocko's books and like, are going to, you know, want to go out and do good things in the world because they've been inspired by things that he's done or, or even, or even just that, yeah, like other, other things, lessons that he's had in his life or other people that have influenced him that are a, a bridge or a gateway, right. For, for young, for young men. I mean, I think we, we need more of that, right. Like the, the whole toxic masculinity thing gets tossed around a yeah. lot. Right. And it should be, you know, what the opposite of that is, is like men, you know, older men guiding younger men to a path of, of, you know, away from corruption towards what's right towards, you know, protecting your family towards standing up for the, the courageous things, the right things. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm not going to knock on Jocko. I think he, I think he represents the model pretty well. No, hundred percent, man. You know, and he doesn't, it's not just his books. Like he spends a lot of time. I mean, 50% of his podcast, he's talking about other people's books and not sure. just, and not just war books or not just what you would normally consider, um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how we can like have things not go wrong. Uh, you know, so for a guy to sit down and go into an in-depth discussion about the My Lai massacre in Vietnam and say, why did My Lai happen? Um, or a book called Ordinary Men about military, German military police that end up, you know, executing a lot of civilians for the Nazis. And, you know, they were just regular guys, but how did they get sucked into committing these atrocities, man? I, I spend a lot of time as a cop in the 21st century. I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Like, how mm -hmm. can we not have those things happen? Um, so there's, I also have to like applaud him for driving people in the direction of knowledge in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one thing I compliment Joe Rogan a, a lot on too, you know, like for, for a dude who used to get kicked in the head for a living, he's a pretty inquisitive and pretty well-rounded guy when it comes to knowledge. I mean, he's not, you know, he's, he, and he says, I saw his stand up a couple of weeks ago, right before he got COVID in Orlando. And he was like, I got it from you. <laughs> no, no, dude, I've, <laughs> I've been COVID. I haven't gotten sick during this whole thing, but whatever. That's a whole nother thing. I just, I, I like to attribute to my healthy, healthy lifestyle. Maybe that's a little bit egotistical, but I do focus on trying to be healthy, man. But anyway, Joe Rogan stand up. Uh, I won't throw all his stuff out there in the street, but he's, yeah. he even said in his stand up, he's like, if you're taking medical advice from me, is that really my fault? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't not <laughs> yeah, a medical no, professional sure, right. at all, dude. But anyway, 
sure. Yeah, but I do like I was just listening to one of his podcasts tonight uh, with um, was it Brett Weinstein and and having people on that are like way smarter than me and people I would have not have heard about people in the scientific community that I would have not known about if they hadn't been on a show. So I think it's cool for sure. Well, that's why that, what you're doing right now is exciting. Not that I'm smarter than you, um, but you are bringing in a lot of people that are interesting to you and you're picking their brains. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that you're building a legacy of knowledge, which is, uh, it's going to be beneficial one way or the other, even if it's never like financially beneficial, just having, uh, that kind of repository of those. If you could have a recording of 10% of the awesome conversations you had in your life. Hmm. Yeah. You know, how, how for sure would that be for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh, I'm not placing myself in that 10% of conversations for you, but um, you know, you're probably going to capture a piece of that, you know, if you, you talk to enough people. So uh keep it up man no you know, no i appreciate the encouragement for sure and, it's and i'm gonna do some similar things uh in the future too you know as we kind of get the ball rolling yeah for sure man i'm looking forward to see what you guys are doing and, and on that note too who's who's kind of influencing you right now uh or who are you following you know who's kind of kind of shaping your sphere right now you know, man, I, uh, I am so deep in school right now on the cybersecurity uh, degree. I get uh, it. A, lo a lot of my social media consumption is, um, is one way, you know, is me pushing stuff out sure. and not consuming as much. You're better off um, for it. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, you know, Hey man, I just finished uh, another really good podcast, uh, by, have you listened to the martyr made podcast by Daryl Cooper? No, I haven't. I'll have to look okay. them up. Um, there's a, a podcast called martyr made by Daryl Cooper. And he just, he did this, um, discussion of the connections between, uh, Dostoyevsky and Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. And then like, I picked up, you know, the brothers Karamazov. I hadn't, hadn't gotten too deep into it. Um, cause it kind of, it starts off slow. Um, and I, and I jumped back into it cause of that. So, Hey man, go check out Daryl Cooper on martyr made. If I have to make a shout out. No, cool, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah. This is all about networking and and sharing ideas and and what you what you're thinking about stuff. So I, I appreciate that. And I, I use this as a resource too of people I've not made connections with, or you know the the algorithm hasn't fed me that person. So I, you know, no, part, this is part of the, the the like the reality check, right? Is like the the thing is the little the little handheld mind control device is not the only source of of the sphere of influence. <laughs> no, dude, you know, I did an experiment in 2018 where I went back to having a flip phone for a year. Yeah. And it was, it was wild. First of all, I walked into uh, a telecommunication store and asked for a flip phone and they looked at me like I was an alien <laughs> and they were like, That's we great. don't carry those. And I had to uh, order a used one off of Amazon. Um, uh, they don't even sell them like in, in Walmart anymore. Uh, they might, okay. uh, but I, I wanted a little bit more rugged model. I didn't want sure. like a, a jitterbug with the big right. numbers for grandma, you know? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I ordered it off Amazon or eBay and then brought it in and had to get them to activate it. Um, and it was, it was a pretty interesting experiment, you know, and, uh, to show how, kind of integral they've become to our everyday yeah. lives. Like I have one now mainly for fantasy football, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, we've, we've each got it. We got to have our thing, man. Yeah, we've but, each got to have our thing. Sitting in a restaurant 
and looking around. Oh yeah. And every other adult that is there with someone else. Yeah. Is yeah. staring at their phone. Yeah. It's it's weird, man. Like some of those Netflix, you know, dystopian documentaries. It's right. Some, it's right there. There's something to it, brother. Well, I was in Tokyo a couple of years ago. Well, I guess more than a couple now, like five, five, six, six or seven years ago, and seeing like young people how sucked into their phones they were. And I was like, this is crazy. This would never happen in the US. And I look around and I'm like, we're right, right there. Holy we're just, crap. They were just a couple of years ahead of us. That's all it was. Yeah. So, but gotcha. yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so back to psychological tactics, you guys have, you guys are putting up a course now, right? And, uh, you guys have got a free resource for people to check out. Yeah. So, so again, psychological tactics is like my own personal project. So, yeah. um, uh, my company is called the human performance and readiness Institute. Um, if you go to my Instagram, there's a link to it on my Instagram page or it's hprillc.com. Um, but uh, we actually have two free classes up right now. We're kind of trying to pivot a little bit more towards the online stuff because what you see in government is a lot of the big agencies and the big places that have a lot of dollars can afford to bring people in to train or afford to have full-time staff. Like, hey, the New York Police Department has a full-time officer wellness unit, right? That's great. But if you work for a podunk sheriff's department, how do you get that training? So, um, and you know, the majority of cops in the country work for smaller agencies. Um, so we have two free online courses right now. Uh, one of them is called what to expect after a critical incident. Uh, I talked to one of my partners and I was like, yo doc, what would you say to an officer that had just been involved in a shooting? Okay. Put that in a class. And we're going to put it up online and it's going to be free and it's always going to be free. So, you know, when we kind of transition to a paid model in the future, this class is always going to be free. If you have a friend um, or you experience a critical incident, go take this class. Well, go take it right now. So you know what to experience beforehand. It's only 30 or 45 minutes. Um, and it runs through some of the things we've been talking about on this, on this uh, podcast, but then also, you know, point people to it in the future so sure. that, uh, you know, it can be an invaluable resource to people who are, are in those terrible moments and don't have access to that good advice from a psychologist. And then, uh, you know, and I have a free class up called uh, Introduction to the Stoic Operating System, and it just kind of breaks down Stoic philosophy and how it can apply to the tactical community, how it can apply to law enforcement. Um, and some basic stoic stoic exercises and, and things like that. So if that's if that's your jam, if you want to get on the path, as Jocko would say, or <laughs> the way as Musashi would say, right. um, hey man, go jump on it, take my free class, whatever. You know, if you never take another one of our classes again, that's fine. But if you improve your life a little bit, man, what do you have to lose? Very cool, man. I think it's awesome that uh you guys are creating some some resources to get people stepping off into the world and and some some knowledge and stuff to help self-identify too, man. Because I, I know for a lot of people, uh, going to people who are necessarily at your department, at your at your unit, at your squadron, or whatever, um, you know, it's a there's 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 a fear of of the you know, am I gonna be am I gonna be separated or singled out or you know, for for trying to self-identify for having issues. So I think for the sure. more resources we have out there that are from third party 
to help people out, the better, in my opinion. So I think what you're doing is awesome. Awesome. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. So yeah, man, Cliff, thanks for joining me on, on the podcast. Uh, I think what you guys are doing, like I said, is important. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to see where psychological tactics is, is going in the future and more content that you guys can be putting out, I'm sure here in the next, at least in this year, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. We're really, we're really stepping it up and I'm going to be putting a lot more stuff out and man, I, uh, I look forward to seeing where you go too, man. I thought you got a good vibe about you. Oh, you know, I appreciate you're, that. You're, you're pushing hard and, uh, you know, you're trying to find that path for yourself too. So, um, I think that, that we have that in common. So I look forward to seeing where this takes you and, and having more conversations in the future. I appreciate it, man. We will definitely be in touch anytime. Thank you yet again to Cliff for joining me on the Warrior Monk podcast. It was a good conversation and it was a great uh, step two here for this mini series that we're doing on psychology and neuroscience. If you want to follow him, go check him out on Instagram at psychological tactics, all one word at Instagram, or you can go check out the free courses they now have online at his website with his company at www.hprillc.com. And if you haven't done so already, please check out the Warrior Monk Podcast on Instagram at the Warrior Monk Podcast or on Facebook as well. And leave us a review if you're getting the podcast at a location like Audible or Apple Podcasts where you can leave a review. Guys, thank you so much for joining me, your host, Lance Radford, on the Warrior Monk Podcast. And I hope to see you again shortly in the near future for another segment on this mini series on psychology and neuroscience. And let's continue to grow through balance. This is Lance signing out.